Yeah, we're in, the, we're in the fresh, and what we're saying is at the beginning of a new year, beginning of the new decade, and this is crazy. Remember at the end of 2019, how many of us were so amazed and talking about, we're at the start of a new decade. Remember that was like all over social media, what are you going to do in the new decade? And we're 19 days in, and no one even cares about that anymore. We're like, well, it's just life. And so anyway, so we're at the beginning of a new, a new year, beginning of a new decade, and, and at the, as, as we come to that, many of us, like we do every year, we kind of go, all right, well, what's the new that's going to happen this year? What do I want to be different about this year? compared to last year? How, how is this year going to be different? What's going to change this year? What do, what do I want to change? And we think about all the things that we want to change and all the things that we want to be different. But what, what, what we're saying and what we've said throughout this series is as much as there's new that you want for you, there's actually new that God wants for you. There is new that God wants to do in you. In 2020, in this year, in this decade, in this month, there is new that God wants for you and there's new that God wants for me. There's something new that God wants to do in a relationship, in a job situation, in your education, in your family. There's something new that God wants to do for you this year. There's something new that God wants to do in you. There's something new that God wants to do around you. There's something new that God wants to do through you. That there's something new that God has and wants for you. That as much as you want new for you, God wants new for you more. And so we've been asking the question, if, if there's this new that God has for us, how do we actually see that become a reality? How do we see that become real in our lives? And what we said at the very beginning, the first week as we looked at the story of Moses, is that a fresh start begins with a fresh encounter with God. That if we're actually willing to open our eyes, open our ears, and see God for who he really, really is, that maybe that's just the way that God begins something new in our lives. That, that it begins with, with seeing God for who he is and what he's really like and what he understanding his purpose and what he really wants us to do in our lives. A fresh start begins with a fresh encounter with God. Last week, we looked at the story of Nehemiah. And I, I'm just telling you, the story of Nehemiah, I love it. I hope you were here last week. If you didn't, I would highly encourage you maybe to go online and check that out and check out our podcast. But the story of Nehemiah, we learned the idea of a focused life. That if there, that we, ha we have the many things that we will do this year, but there's one thing that we must do. That if our, if our life is actually going to look different at the end of 2020 than it does at the start of 2020, there's one thing that you must do. And for each of us, it's different. For all of us, it's something kind of unique and something that's different from the person sitting next to us. But each of us has one thing that we must do. And if we're going to accomplish the one thing, we have to focus our lives. We have to, we have to focus our, our energy, focus our resources around that one thing. And so we learned a key phrase. It's 11 words that I think might just change your life if you apply them. They've begun to like work in my life this, this week as I've re reminded myself of them. And when it comes to my Bible reading and the way I'm trying to be, be patient with my kids, that I, we, we learned the phrase that I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. So I'm doing a great work. I'm, re I'm this like this this month. I'm reading through the entire New Testament, which which is a lot, like a lot. It's like it's like a big chunk. And so there's there's times where I'm like, oh man, I would just rather go to bed than finish these eight chapters. And I got five chapters in, but every time I do that, I just click back to my home screen where I save the wallpaper on my phone, and I say. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. And I finished the last three chapters. Every time my kids kind of get a little frustrating and I want to yell and I'll be like, stop, just stop. Any, any parents know what I'm talking about? I just don't, just, just don't do that. Anytime they do that, I just pop my phone. I'm like, I'm doing a great work and I can't down. That's a wonderful picture, sweetie. Thank you so much for asking me for the 43rd time today what I'm doing. That's so wonderful. You're like, But I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Now today, as we move into the, like the final part of this, I want to, I'm going to tell you three different stories. Uh, and then I'm going to ask you if, if you've ever experienced something like these people experienced. Um, two years ago, 
I had a friend who, um, he said for the first time in his life that he realized he wanted to read the Bible for himself. Um, he, had, he had become a Christian a couple years before that, but he hadn't really ever read the Bible for himself. So he said, I want to become a Bible reader. And at the start of the new year, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become a Bible reader. So on January 1st, he, he went on Amazon. And, and like we all do, he on, on Amazon, he ordered a Bible. And through the magic of Amazon Prime, two days later at his doorstep was a brand new Bible. And he told me which one he was going to get. And it was a really good Bible. And, and so on January 3rd, he began his journey as a Bible reader. And so on January 3rd, he opened up his Bible and he sat down and he read the words, in the beginning, God created. And he read Genesis 1, he read Genesis 2, and he read Genesis 3. He read three chapters and he was like, I've read three more chapters of the Bible today than I've ever read in my entire life. And it was amazing. And he texted me about it and I was like, dude, good job. You did, you did amazing. And the next day he, he sat down with, with his Bible and he read another, another three chapters. And he was like, I'm like, like, I actually read the story of Adam and Eve and their fall. And I, like, I read, like, all this stuff. And I'm like, that's amazing, man. I'm so proud of you. And day, day, day three, he said he didn't have enough time to do three chapters, so he read two chapters. And he was like, but, man, I'm still, I've read eight chapters of the Bible this week. I've read more of the Bible this week than I've read, ever read in my entire life. Day four, he woke up and he, and he, and he, and he, he woke up kind of late, so he only had time to read one chapter. Day five, he woke up and he was feeling sick, so he went back to sleep. And he didn't read any of the Bible that day. But he was like, it's okay, it's just one day. Day six, he woke up and he got his Bible out to read his Bible. But a friend called who was traveling through town and said, hey, I have one hour that I'm going to be in town. Will you want to meet me for Starbucks? And he said, I'm too good for Starbucks. I'm going to read my, I'm just kidding. He said, yeah, I'll meet you there. So he closed his Bible, headed off to Starbucks and kind of forgot it for the rest of his day. Day seven, he woke up and thought, I missed the last two days of Bible reading. Is there even a point in, in, trying, to, in trying to do this? Maybe I'm just one of those people who's not really good at reading the Bible. And so he put his Bible on the shelf and it didn't get picked up for the next eight months. Second story is a, a, a friend of mine, a, a lady who turned 40 a couple of years ago. And when, when she was about to turn 40, she kind of like found herself looking in the mirror a lot and realizing, and she was frustrated with her body, that her body no longer responded the same way it did in her early 20s. Now, to anyone who's in their early 20s, let me just clue you in and give you a little spoiler alert. That happens. Um, when, by the time you're 40, your body will not act the same way or look the same way or respond the same way as it did in your 20s. There's this thing called metabolism and you have it in your early 20s and, you, and it leaves you at some point and you, and you want it back, but it doesn't come back. Anyway, so, anyway, so for me, it was 27. It was a tough year. Anyway, so, like, so, so, you, so, so she's like, I, I, you know, I'm frustrated with, 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 the way, with the way her body was. And so she asked her husband, she said, for my birthday this year, would you get me a gym membership? Now, to quote every Star Wars movie ever, it's a trap, okay? To that husband, that's a trap. So husbands, if your wife ever asks you to buy, you know, a, a big gift of like you know, a gym membership, get the gym membership, but not as a birthday present, not as a, it'll just save you a little bit of heartache. It's a trap, okay? And so, so her husband, though, it was, was just, just dumb enough to get her the gym membership for her 40th birthday. He put it in a card that said over the hill, which, you know, that wasn't a wise move on his part. Anyway, so, so he gave, so he gave her the gym membership. And, and after the fight that resulted in him giving her what she had asked for, because that happens, in the fight that resulted, after the fight, she took the card and she went, fine, I'm going to go to the gym. If you're saying I need to go to the gym, she went to the gym and that night she lifted for 25 minutes and then she spent 10 minutes on the elliptical and then she jumped on the treadmill for 10 minutes and she loved it. She said it felt great. She told me it felt like, it felt, felt amazing. And, and she, took, she took a gym selfie, you know, because have you even gone to the gym if you didn't take a selfie? 
selfie. She took a gym selfie and she took, you know, my, it was my year or something like that, you know, over the hill, under the, I don't know. Anyway, so she like, she put, put that picture. I don't pay a whole lot of attention to hashtags, but she was feeling wonderful. And so the next day, because it felt so good the day before, she went back to the gym and, to, and that day she lifted for 30 minutes and she did legs, she did, like, she did squats. She did like all, you know, like she did not skip leg day to put it, you know, to put it one way. She did not skip leg day. She lifted for 30 minutes. Then she got on a treadmill and ran for 22 minutes. And afterwards, she took that glowing, you know, high angle selfie. You had other people working out in the background to prove that she'd actually been at a gym. You know, it wasn't just a post, a motivational poster. It was, I was at, you know, I was at the gym and she put the hashtag, do you even lift sis? Not bro. It was sis because this is a, this is a women's thing for her. And so she was like, I'm going to lift. And then she experienced what happens on day three when you start working out. What happens day three? You start to feel day one and day two, right? And so day three, she woke up and she's like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done all those squats yesterday, all those lunges. My legs are hurting me. She felt, you know, felt all that, all that soreness, felt some soreness in her shoulders. And so she went to the gym because she was committed. She went to the gym and she did what all of us do when we don't want to be at the gym, but we're at the gym. She found a machine to sit on and she started to try to have like, you know, make up conversations with people around her so, so it would look like she was working out, but oh man, these people started talking to me. And, like, and then she went to the, the, the cardio area and she was like, you know what? It's just too much. And so she took her gym selfie that day, but it said, hashtag the struggle is real, right? And so, and so she did that. And day four, she was so sore, she didn't go to the gym. And day five, she was still sore, so she didn't go to the gym. Day six, she was like, all right, I'm feeling better, so I'm gonna go to the gym. And when she got to the gym, she realized that that key tag that always falls off and you need it to get in. She realized it had fallen off and they said she couldn't get in without it. So she'd either have to go home or pay $15. She's like, I'm not paying $15. You know, so I, I, I guess I'll just go home and I'll bring it back tomorrow. And she didn't go back that day and she didn't go back the next day and she didn't go back the next day. And when I saw her about two weeks after her, after her birthday, she said, boy, it just gets a lot harder when you're a little bit older. Maybe I'm just not the type of person who, who, who can be really physically fit anymore. Third, third story is a friend of mine who even this year, he set a goal that he wanted to be more, like wanted to interact with his kids more. He said he felt like, you know, like he had kind of missed part of a little bit of their childhood. And so he set a goal that every day when he got home from work, he was going to, before he did anything else, he was going to get on the floor with his kids and start playing with his kids. And he told me about that. I was like, that's a great, that's, that's a fantastic goal. That's a, that's a really good, that's a really good resolution. And so, you know, a week later I saw him and I asked him how it was going. He's like, well, he was, he was frustrated. He goes, so, um, so my first day back at work of the new year, um, I, it was the busiest day I've ever had in my entire career. And I had to stay two and a half hours late. And by the time I got home, the kids were going to bed. And so I missed the first day. And the second day I had to stay an hour and 45 minutes late. And so, you know, by the time I got home, everyone had eaten and everyone was done playing. Everyone was getting ready for bed. And so I missed it that day. And the third day was just kind of more of the same. Every day of this week was kind of like that. And so I just kind of missed it. And I don't know, maybe it's something I'll, I'll, try, I'll try again in like a month. And, he's, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he kind of let it go. Now, let me ask you a question. Has anyone in here experienced anything like that at some point in your life? Just raise your hand. Yeah. Okay. And if you're not raising your hand, that's okay. You're a liar. And that's great. And so it's, it's wonderful. And no, but I mean, that's just kind of what we, what we all experience when we're trying to change something, right? We, 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 we start off and things feel great and they're going wonderful. And quickly that thing that feels great and the thing that was, you know, like, this is what we're going to do becomes something that is just kind of like, well, this is what I tried. And what we so often end up fi finding ourselves in is what I would call the vicious cycle of starts and stops. Something that we're going to start, we're going to start, we're going to do great, we're going to do great. It's going to lead to something good in my life. But pretty quickly, we find ourselves going, 
huh, I'm just not doing that thing anymore. This is, this is the dangerous cycle of New Year's resolutions. It's the dangerous cycle of turning 40 and realizing that, you, that you're, you know, like things are not what you wish they were. So, so by the time I'm 41, I want to change some stuff. It's the dangerous cycle of starting a new, like leaving one job for, for a different job and hoping that things turn out different. It's the vicious cycle of starts and stops. And if you'd put that, that next slide up there, that's, that's the next slide. It's the vicious cycle of starts and stops. But then here's what the vicious cycle of starts and stops actually looks like if you'd put the next one up there. We all start with good intentions. Would you guys say good intentions? Now, here's the thing. Over the years, good intentions have kind of gotten a little bit of a bad rap because, well, good intentions don't necessarily get you anywhere. But let me tell you what, good intentions are much better than bad intentions, right? Like, ah, I want to go murder someone. That's a bad intention. And if you accomplish that goal, you get to go to prison. It, your bad intentions take you to bad places. At least a good intention le- hopefully has the potential to lead you to somewhere good. So I'm going to lose the weight. I'm going to read more. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to spend more time in prayer. I'm going to go meet more people. So I have good intentions. Good intentions are important because without the good intentions, we don't get off to the next part of this, which is what I would call the fresh start. Would you guys say fresh start? The fresh start is where we actually start to do the thing that we said we're going to do. So I'm going to go meet more people and you actually go somewhere where you're going to meet some new people. Where you say you're going to read the Bible and you actually start to read the Bible. And you find that like, wait, I am actually a person. I can read a chapter of the Bible every day. I can read a verse every day. I can read two chapters a day. I, like, I actually can do this. You get the fresh start and you have that energy. You have the energy of, of coming off the, the new year. You have all the, all the endorphins and adrenaline rushing that just kind of makes it like, it kind, of, it kind of starts to carry you a little bit. And so you get the fresh start and you have the good intentions and the fresh start and it's leading you towards someone somewhere good. And because it's leading you somewhere good, you experience what I call early success. The early success is that thing where you're reading the Bible and like my friend who was reading the Bible, dude, I've read, I've read eight more chapters of the Bible this week than I've ever read in my life. And he had so much pride in that, so much joy in that. Like, I feel like I'm understanding God for the first time in my life. It's early success. It's when you say, I'm going to go meet someone. I'm going to actually, I'm going to, maybe you're, maybe you're a lady and you're like, you know, I'm actually going to flirt with people this year. And you, and you actually like flirted with someone, like you kind of made eye contact with someone at Starbucks and they went, and you, and you're like, oh my gosh, they, they, they didn't turn me down. You're like, well, you didn't really say anything. You just kind of looked at them. But it was like, you know, like, like I, I made eye contact with someone and it was great. And let me just, for you ladies who are thinking about that, if you look at a guy, chances are they are so nervous. They're sweating in their, I mean, it's like, I don't know it, pretty girl. Ah, it's great. So you have early success. It feels great. You go to the gym and it feels wonderful. After the gym, you go home and, you, and your, your husband or your roommate or your wife or your kids, they see you and they go, oh my gosh, you look like you're having so much fun. You're like, yeah, I am. I feel so strong. I might just rip your head off. You're like, don't, don't, don't. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't do that. You're like, like, sorry, I just got a little carried away because I feel so good. And so you're like, yeah, maybe tone it down, mom. And so you're like, you know, it's, it's the early success. It feels good. It feels right. It feels like you're on the right track. But pretty quickly, after it starts to feel good, you have your first struggle. You have the first time where like, oh, it was easy before and now it's not easy. It was easy to get up in the morning and this morning I woke up not feeling so good. It was easy to head to the gym and this day I forgot my key fob. It was, it was easy to spend time in prayer, but today I didn't feel like I was you know, doing anything when I was praying. It's that first struggle. And after the first struggle, what we find ourselves experiencing is, you know what, okay, I struggled once, but like it, it was a struggle, but I did it. And, and sure, it's going to get easier from here on and it doesn't get easier. Sometimes it gets harder. And we experience what I would call the consistency challenge, where it's like, you know what, if I'm going to get where I need to go, I've got to be consistent with this. And it's hard 
to be consistent. It's hard to go to the gym. It's hard to read the Bible for the sixth day and the seventh day. When you no longer have the energy and the excitement carrying you, it's no longer fun. It's no longer exciting. After you got shot down one time, after it took longer than you thought it should take, when you step on the scale and you have not lost weight, but you've actually gained a pound and you're frustrated because you forgot that, you know, that muscle weighs more than, than fat. And so you're like, ah, I'm gaining weight. Like when it, when it's like, is it worth being consistent? And we face that consistency challenge where we just go, I mean, is it, is it worth it? Is it worth it getting up day after day after day to do this? Is it worth putting my best effort in at work? It's a consistency challenge. And when we face the consistency challenge, but we still keep going, eventually we will experience what I call our first miss. Would you guys say the first miss? the first miss. It's the first time you actually fail at the thing that you were intended to do. It's the first day that you get up and you go, you know what? I got up too late. I'm not, I'm not going to read the Bible today. I, 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 you know, like I was there and I was supposed to meet new people, but I didn't talk to anyone new. And then, oh, I, I was supposed to eat healthy, but I just picked up Applebee's on the way home. Like, it was, like it was, I was supposed to do something good and I didn't do it. And, and, I, and, and, and it's, it's our first miss. It's the first, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And pretty quickly after that, most of us move to what I call the stop decision or just the decision that, you know what, hey, this isn't for me right now. Maybe we'll try this again in the future, but this is not gonna happen. And so for some of us today, if I, if I could just, this is, this is not from the Bible, um, but, I, but it's a little from the Bible. It, it just maybe as, as a pastor, I think some of us need to hear this. When you hit the first miss, the first miss does not have to lead to an eternal miss. The first miss does not have to mean that you stop. The first miss doesn't mean that you have to stop making progress. It, your first miss is your first failure, but you are not a failure. You don't let that one miss become your entire identity. You don't go, well, I failed, so I'm a failure. You go, you know what, I failed and I wish it hadn't happened. But the only way I really become a failure is if I completely stop. So for some of you who, who this week you experienced your first miss at the thing that you've been trying to do or the thing that maybe you feel like God is asking you to do, you experienced the first miss, you experienced the first time that the consistency became really challenging, don't let the first miss become the ultimate miss. Don't let the first miss lead to the next one and the next one and the next one and an eventual eternal miss. You can start again with the good intentions and a new fresh start even after the first miss. So that's just kind of for free. But here's the thing. When we look at this, we think, well, the reason that change is so difficult is because change takes a lot of time. Like, like to actually keep going, That the problem here is the consistency. The problem here is it takes a long time to change. The problem here is that like for, for many of us, we feel like that time is a little bit working against us. We feel, we feel like, you know, like, oh, if I want to lose that weight, if I want to actually become a Bible reader, if I want to really feel like I understand God, if I want to become a person of prayer, if I want to actually feel like I have community, that's going to take some time. And we feel like time is working against us. That's the myth that all of us kind of work against sometimes at this time of year, that time is working against me. That time is working against me. That I don't have time for all that. That, that it, you know, if I'm going to lose that weight, that's going to take a long time. And so time is working. Again. I don't know if I have that much time. That if I'm going to really choose to be patient with my kids over, like, that, like and rebuild a relationship, like, that's going to take a lot of time. I don't know if I have that kind of time. If I'm going to actually be nice to my, like, if I'm going to be, like, kind of re-spark that romance with my spouse, it's going to take some serious time. And it's going to take patience and kindness and patience and kindness and patience and kindness. And it's not just one day. I have to do that for, like, a long time. And I don't know if I can be consistent for a long time. Time is working against me. If, if change could just happen faster, I could change. But time is working against me because change requires 
a lot of time and I don't have that much time and I don't have the kind of time I think I have. And what gets even more frustrating about that is some of you, as, as we grow older, what we realize is change takes more time the, lo- the, the longer you live, right? It change takes more time. The longer you live, the more you have your habits established and your habits have led you to become the person that you are with the body that you have, with the relationship with God, with the relationship with your spouse you have. And it takes longer to undo and to break and to change the habits that you have that have led you to become the person that you currently are. I mean, when, when you're young, you can change, like, I mean, some of you, you're, you're thinking like, man, even when you're young, it's really hard. I'm telling you, it gets, it gets harder the older you get. When I was 18, this, this sound, when I say this out loud, like, this still sounds crazy to me. When I was 18, I lost 45 pounds in 40 days. Because when you're young, change happens quickly. Your body changes quickly. Your mind changes quickly. Your spiritual habits can change quickly. I, I mean, I, like, I changed one or two small habits and I dropped 45 pounds in 40 days. It was unbelievable. And I think back to that and I'm like, now I'm 36 and losing 45 pounds, like, which is kind of what I want to lose, like, I don't think that's going to happen in 40 days because our bodies change slower and, our, and everything changes slower the older you get. And so we, all of us, we kind of think like, well, time is working against me. I don't know if I can stay committed for that long. I don't know if I can stay committed for that much time. The time is working against me. Where the truth is this, the truth is this, that change takes time. That is true. And from some of us, we think because change takes time, time is our enemy. But I would say this, change takes time and time is your friend. Because if you're going to actually experience lasting change, lasting change never happens overnight. Lasting change only takes place over time. And for the change that you want to experience and that I want to experience to last, we actually need to embrace time as our friend, not our enemy. That time actually can work for us if we know how to work over time. And now if you're thinking, where, where's the example of this in the Bible? Where does this come from? As I was trying to think and, and trying to narrow down, you know, one story of one person in the Bible who experienced this in a, in a real big way, I, I really struggled because everyone in the Bible who did something great for God or who God used in an, in an incredible way, all of them experienced this, that, that change took time, that, that the process of becoming who God wanted them to be, it took time. The process of figuring out what God wanted them to do, it took time. Every single person, I mean, let, let me just go through a list for you real quick. Noah, Noah was called to build the ark that would save the world from the, from the flood that would wipe out the entire planet and wipe out, wipe out humanity except for who was in the, in the ark. And God called him to do it as a, as a relatively old man. And, it, and, and from the day that he started, that God called him to the day that it began to rain, did anyone in here know how long it was? It was 40 years. It was 40 years. I mean, if God, most of us in our lifetime, if you start work at 21, you retire at 63, you're going you're gonna to work 40 years, you're, you know, 40, 42 years if, you're, if I'm good at math, 42 years. Imagine your entire life's career building one boat and it hasn't ever rained. That's what Noah was called to. God said, it's going to rain. He's like, what's rain? Don't worry about it. It's going to rain. You need to build a boat. Okay, how big does the boat need to be? It needs to be pretty big. I'm going to bring a whole bunch of animals. I'm going to bring your whole family. Like, you need some space. So Noah sets to work. And, and, and while he's being made fun of, while people are mocking him, while people are questioning his decision, while I would imagine he's questioning his decision, just imagine, like God didn't give him a timeline. God just said, start working. And seven years in, you still haven't seen any rain. And 14 years in, you still haven't seen rain. 23 years in, there's no rain. It's day 10,000 and there's still no rain. And Noah gets up like he, did, like he got up every day. 
We're working on the boat. We're working on the boat. Got to get the boat ready. That was Noah. Abraham was promised that he would have a son. And it was at least 40 years from the time that God made the promise until he had his son Isaac. 40, 40 years before he had a child. Joseph in the Old Testament, he was, set, he was a young man. If you're not familiar with the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, he was a young man who had a dream that God was going to make him into a ruler, a commander, a, a, an incredibly important person where even his own brothers, his older brothers, and his own father would come and would seek something from him, would be, would be asking him for something. And because he told his dream to his brothers and his father, his brothers got jealous of him, so jealous that they actually attempted to hurt him, and then sold him into slavery in Egypt. While he's in Egypt, he, he is in prison, then he's a slave, then he's sent back to prison, then he's a slave again, then he's sent back to prison. While he's in prison, he meets some high-ranking officials who got in trouble with the Pharaoh. He interprets their dreams, and he says, hey, just, you know, when you go back, remember me, because, you know, I helped you out. And they're like, oh, of course we're going to remember you. And years and years and years go by. Because they didn't remember him because it wasn't convenient for them. And eventually, Pharaoh has a dream. And no one can figure it out. And Pharaoh's ticked off. And, and, and this guy goes, oh, yeah, hey, I remember this guy. I remember this guy from when I was in prison. We don't stop talking about why I was there. But anyway, so I met this guy who was in prison. And um, I, I think he might be able to help you. And so they bring, they bring Joseph out. And in a moment, in a moment, he's made the second most powerful man in the most powerful nation on the world. But he spent 17 years from the time he had the dream to the time that he became the second most powerful man in Egypt. And in those 17 years, it was not good years for Joseph. It was not years that he would have chosen. It was bad, rough, terrible years for Joseph that none of us would like. But it was 17 years. For Samuel in the Old Testament, he was a young boy when he's called to be God's next prophet. There's a prophet in Israel, and Samuel is a young boy. Most people believe he was seven or eight years old. He was serving at the temple. He was learning from the prophet at the time, or serving at the tabernacle. He's learning from the prophet at the time. And one night he hears the voice of God say, Samuel. And he's like, huh, what? He runs into, the, into his mentor's you know, room. He says, you called for me? And he's like, no, I didn't call for you. It happens four times, and eventually the guy goes, hey, when you hear that voice, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So at seven, eight years old, he's called to be the next prophet of the nation of Israel. And it's years and years, most people, it's like 20 to 30 years before he actually becomes the prophet in Israel. David, he was anointed as a teenager, most likely at 13 or 14 years old. Imagine being 13 or 14 years old, being told that you're going to be the next king. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> Be like, yeah, I am. I'm going to be the king of everything. I'm going to be king of you. Like, it's like so ridiculous. But he's 13, 14 years old and he's anointed to be the next king. And most, like, the, like historically, he didn't become king until he was 40 years old. There's 26, 27 years before he became king, after he was called to be the king. There's this guy named Jesus. Have you heard of Jesus? It's kind of like the reason we're here today. Um, but he, like, we, here, here's what we know about Jesus in, in his entire life until his public ministry at 30. We know something when he was eight days old. We have a small little snippet of what happened when he was 12 years old. And that's it until he's 30 years old. And for 18 years, Jesus was out of the spotlight, off the script, out of, out of, off of everyone's attention, out of everyone's line of sight. No one paying attention to Jesus. And then when Jesus shows up, he's the man that God's called him to be. He's the son of God in human flesh that he's called to be. And he, and, he, and, he, and he goes and he begins his ministry. And as soon as he begins his ministry, you know what happens to Jesus? He's taken into the desert for 40 days to fast and to pray. And he's tempted by the devil over and over and over again. I mean, you want to talk about like out of the spotlight in the places that you don't want to be? 
Jesus went to the places that none of us want to be. And he was out of the spotlight for long periods of his life. A man named Paul. A man named Paul. When we, when we meet him, his name was Saul. And Saul was a man who was, a, a, who was agreeing and, and thought it was good that people were arresting and killing Jesus followers. He's like, yeah, good. That's, that's what's right. And eventually he's going to arrest and kill more Jesus followers. When, Jesus, when the risen Jesus meets him, knocks him off of his horse, blinds him, and sends him into a town where he says, there's a man there who will heal you and restore your sight. He goes in, the man restores him sight and says, you are called now to, be, to go and preach the message of good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. You're supposed to be the mouthpiece. And so, so Paul begins to do that. Saul slash Paul begins to do that. And the way we read it in the book of Acts, and the way we read the story so many times, we're like, so he, got, he received his sight, and like the next day he's out preaching. But Paul tells us himself that he spent years, he spent almost a decade asking people questions about Jesus before he ever began to preach. Paul writes that he, that he, that he, that he learned from the, the, from the disciples that he went and asked questions. He went to Jerusalem on many times, many occasions to learn what Jesus had said, to learn what Jesus was like, to just learn how Jesus treated people. There's years between... Paul's conversion and Paul doing what God called him to do as the mouthpiece to the Gentiles. And here's the thing. So all, all of these people who did incredible things for God, every single one of them had a long period of time where they were out of the spotlight, where things probably seemed dark, where they wouldn't have chosen it and they would say, I'm not really doing what I'm supposed to do. They would have felt like they were in the middle of the consistency challenge or the first miss or, or the first struggle. or, or like it, It's just like, why isn't it happening yet? And yet every single one of them, they emerged with two things. They emerged with a deep sense of identity. This is who I am. This is who I'm created to be. This is the man. This is the woman that I'm created to be. And every one of them exited their time and, and, and left their time in, in the desert, their time in the wilderness, their time in the darkness, their time out of the spotlight with a deep sense of identity, sorry, a deep sense of destiny, a deep sense of not only this is who I am, but a deep sense of this is what I am called to do. This is what God placed me on the earth to accomplish. This is who I am. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is who I am. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is who I am, and this is who I'm supposed to be, and this is what I'm supposed to do. And I would imagine when they went into their time in the desert, when they went into their time in the wilderness, when they were thrown in prison unjustly, when they, were, when they went into those times, I would guess all of them had some sense of, you know what? I'm not sure who I'm supposed to be. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do. But after their years out of the spotlight, after their years of just God taking the time to do in them and to do through them what he wanted to do, they were willing to step up and say, God, now I understand who you've created me to be and now I, have, now I understand what, you have, what you've created me to do. So all of them, they would say to us today, look, change is different. Like the, the whole time thing, like, it can feel like your enemy. But change does take time. But the change that, that happens over time, it's worth it. So time is your friend. Now, if you're, if you're listening to that and going, okay, so the whole thing is just that like we're supposed to be patient and we just like sit back and like wait and hopefully something happens and hopefully change comes and hopefully it gets easier. Like is that, is that the whole thing? That's not the whole thing because time by itself doesn't, doesn't, doesn't change you, but some things that happen over time do change us. And so Paul, 
who, who we just talked about as the man who once was a, a killer of Christians and then became the, the leading mouthpiece going to spread the news throughout the entire world of what God had done. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, and, and, and the verses that follow, he said this. He said, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. He's like, look, guys, you know, none of us are perfect, like, and, and, I'm, and I'm not either. And so I'm not going to sit up here and pretend that, that I've got it all figured out, and I'm not going to pretend that I have it all together, not pretend that I'm, that I'm getting it right every single day. Like, there are times where I still fail. There's times where I still miss. But, he says, he says this, but I press on. Would you guys say press on? He says, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He said, I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. This is not the press on like those old, pre- old school press on nails. This is life got difficult and I'm going to push back. Life pushed at me and I'm going to push back. This was a struggle, but I pressed on. This was di- more difficult than I thought it was going to be, but I pressed on. I press on. Verse 13 says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Again, there's that idea of one thing. Not many things, one thing. I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. So, yeah, I could beat myself up about the fact that I didn't do yesterday what I know I was supposed to do yesterday, but yesterday is behind me, and today is right now. So today I'm going to press on. Today I'm going to jump back in. Today I'm going to do again the thing that I know I'm supposed to do. I forget the past and I look forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, he says again, I press on. Would you guys say press on? He says, I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive. I'm I'm pressing on because I want to reach it. I'm pressing on because I want to receive it. I'm pressing on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. What does Paul want you to do? What does Paul want me to do when life is difficult, when things don't go our way, when it seems like it's taking longer than than we think it should take, when it seems like time is actually working against us, and when it seems like time is the enemy? What does Paul want you to do? What does Paul want me to do? Paul wants us to press on. So when I didn't feel great on the fourth day, I press on. When I skipped three days and thought, what's the point? I press on. When the spouse said, here we go again, this is going to be just like the last time, we press on. When it's easier to quit than to try again, we press on. And when I tried before and failed, but I know it's worth it to keep going, I I press on. I press on. I keep going. And so, yeah, I failed failed yesterday, but I press on. And yeah... you know, this, this being a person of integrity thing, like, you know, it's harder than I thought, but I press on. And yeah, being the student that I want to be and, and actually getting the grades that I, that I think, I, that I, think I, I should get and actually being proud of the work that I'm doing, it, it's going to require more time than I think it should require and more time than I've, than I've been putting in, but I press on. Paul says, I press on because I'm not there yet, but I press on. I stay faithful. I stay faithful. I stay faithful. Verse 17, he goes on to say this, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. He says, you can, you can, like, I'm someone who's pressing on and I want you to be someone who's pressing on. So even if you haven't figured this out yet, even if you're not a person who naturally presses on, that's okay. You can learn this. You can pattern this. So pattern your life after mine. He says, for I told you before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. Now, I, I don't know about you, but that last line, that, that, that gets to me. It gets to me because I know I'm too often guilty of it. 
that, that there are those who think only about this life here on earth. That in the day-to-day of, of, of life and, and in you know, kids and jobs and, and careers and carpools and cooking and, you know, and all the stuff that, that goes with life, it's just like, okay, I got to focus on today. I got to focus on today. And then tomorrow I'm going to focus on, the, on that day and the next day and the next day. And we get so focused on life here on earth and job and school and clothes and kids and, and husband. And, and, we, and we get so focused on that. And we should be focused on things like that. But at the same time, Paul says there is a type of person who focuses on that and only focuses on that and forgets that there is a life to come. And for every person that's in this room, let me just tell you something. There is a life to come for you. And the choices that we make in this life, they need to be choices that are not just choices focused on today. They need to be choices that are focused on the life that's to come. Because the choices that we make in this life determine what we will experience in eternity. And so Paul says, don't make choices that are just all about today and today and today and today and this and this and this and here and now and here and now. Make choices that actually lead you to the life that you want to experience when it's eternal life. And then in verse 20, he says this, and this is the part I love. He says, but we, we, would you guys say we? But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Verse 21, he says, He will take our weak mortal bodies and, what's those next two words? And change them. And change them into glorious bodies like his own. Using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So I love this. Here's what Paul does. He says, I press on, I press on, I press on, I press on. And I press on knowing that one day God is going to bring the same power that he's going to use to bring everything under his control, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He's going to bring that same power with my pressing on. And as I bring that pressing on and he brings his power, something good is going to happen. And it might take a little bit longer than I thought it was going to take, but I'm going to keep pressing on. And it might take way longer than I think it's going to take, and I'm going to keep pressing on. And it might be way harder than I think it should be, but I'm going to press on because if I press on, God will bring his power. And so here's, here's, here's the bottom line today. And this bottom line almost seems a little bit underwhelming, but, it, but here's it is. Faithfulness over time leads to fresh. Time alone does not lead to fresh. Time alone does not lead to change. Time alone does not make you a different person. But faithfulness over time leads to the fresh that God wants for you and that God wants for me. Faithfulness over time leads to the good things that you, that you want for you and the good things that God wants for you. Faithfulness over time leads to the fresh things and the new things that God wants to do for you in this year. Faithfulness this year will lead to the fresh that God wants for you this year. Faithfulness over time leads to fresh. And so here's what this looks like, according to Paul. He's saying, I have a job, and God has a job. I have a job, God has a job. I have a responsibility, and God has a responsibility. Here's our jobs. My job is to be faithful. Would you guys say faithful? God's job is fresh. It's my job to be faithful to what God's asking me. It's my job to be faithful to what God's commanding me. It's my job to do what God is asking me to do. It's my job to be the person God is asking me to be. And out of that, it's God's job to bring the new and the fresh that he wants to do through my faithfulness. Does that make sense? It's my job to be faithful. It's God's job to be fresh. So today, I want to be faithful. Tomorrow, I want to be faithful. The next day, I want to be faithful. The day after that, you want to know what I want to do? I want to be faithful. You want to know what I want to be doing two weeks from now? I want to be faithful. You know what I want to do two months from now? I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful. Faithful, 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 boringly faithful, 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 until I'm tired of it. Faithful, 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 and God will bring about the fresh. Because that's who he is and that's what he does. We bring our press on. It's difficult. It's press on. It's tough. It's press on. I don't want to, but I press on. 
And God brings his power to accomplish the fresh things that he wants to do in us and through us. My job is faithful. God's job, it's fresh. So it's my job to stay faithful to what God's asking me to do. It's God's job to bring about what he has for me. It's not my job to make it, to will it into existence. It's my job to do what God's asking me to do. It's God's job to bring about what he has for me. That's good. It's good that, 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 that it's not your job to make God's stuff happen for you. It's your job to make you the person that God wants you to be. It's your job to be the person that God wants you to be, to put yourself in a position where God can bless you and bring the fresh things that he has and that he wants for and in and through and around you. It's my job to be faithful. It's God's job to bring the fresh. So if I, if I could challenge us in, 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 three, in three ways, I think there's three areas of life where I think this can so easily fall by the wayside, but I think this is, there, there are three areas here where we can get this right and make a big change in the world. The first is as a church. As a church, I, we, we say this every Sunday, as a church, we exist to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And our whole thing is really, we exist to lead all kinds of people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. People who are walking in and going, I, you know, I don't even know if I believe anything about Jesus, but someone who's cute asked me to come to church today. You know, people who are going, you know, like, you know, like I, I'm not sure if I have much, like I, I sort of believe some stuff about Jesus. I haven't been to church in ages and someone promised me lunch if, if, I, would, if I would come, to, that they'd take me out to lunch. Like I saw something on Facebook and, you know, and, 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 and Pastor Chris was on there and, you know, and, and he was talking and saying something. And so I just showed up and like, I mean, we, we don't know. But our, our whole thing is we want to lead people who have been disconnected from the church into a relationship with Jesus Christ through the local church. And in our city, I mean, I've said this statistic so many times, I want this to change so badly. In our city, 90% of our city woke up today and said no to church and said no to connecting with God through the local church. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. And for those 90% of people, I just want to say, we exist for them like we exist for you. And for them to experience something, uh, something of God, for them to experience something of Jesus, it's going to mean that we have to be faithful and we got to be faithful in two ways. we got to be faithful to consistently invite people who are not connected to a local church to come with us. And you're thinking, no, 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 they'll say no because they don't go to church. No, no, no. They say no because no one's invited them to a church that is designed for them. And I'm just telling you, as a church, I, just, I want us to double down on this. I want us to be a church that consistently invites people who need to be in church to come to church with us because we've designed a church with them in mind. We've designed a church to have good music. We've designed a church to have good graphics. We've designed a church to hopefully, as much as we possibly can, take the awkward out of church so that when people can come here, they don't see the awkward of church. They see the Savior who died for them. And for them to see the Savior who died for them, I'm just telling you, it's going to take that, you, that we need you to step up and to be willing to leverage your influence with someone to invite them to come with you next week. Again, I've told you already, this next week is a great time to invite someone to come with you. But I just think we just need to, like, for some of us, we have passed that on and we think it's someone else's responsibility. And we think, well, someone else will invite them. No, 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 it's you. It's you. So if I can look you all right in the eyes right now, like if you're all looking at me right now, it's you. There's someone in your life who will not come to know Jesus unless you step up. And it's time to be willing to be bold about that. So we got to be faithful about boldly inviting. And then here's the other thing that I want to make sure that we don't miss. It's great to boldly invite, but when people show up, we've also got to warmly love and welcome people. 
We've got, and that's something I think sometimes we struggle with that as a church. That like, I think there's too many times where someone comes in and they're looking to connect with someone and they sit alone and they stand alone and they don't have anyone shake their hand and they don't have any hug, anyone hug them. And let me just tell you, not everyone wants a hug, so don't start doing that. But like, you know, like, you know, it's like, oh, I went into that church and they all hugged me. It was so weird. I got 200 hugs that day. I didn't like it. I'm not going back. Like, but like, that we should be people, like, our, our, our faithfulness, here's our, here's our things to be faithful as a church. Let's boldly invite, let's warmly welcome. You know what things, what two things I pray for us as a church every single day? God, let us be a church that boldly invites people so that we can influence them for Jesus, and let's warmly welcome people when they come so that they, so that they actually feel like there's someone who loves them for, by, that they've been loved by Jesus because they've been loved by his church. And here's the thing. So, so, so this week, the challenge, let's be faithful to that this week. And if I could double dog dare challenge you, this week, let's pray for people. Let's invite people like our lives depend on it. Let's do that because even if our lives don't depend on it, it's possible their eternal life does. So let's do it. Let's step up and be faithful as a church. The second area of faithfulness, I think, that we should pay attention to is our family. So we got our church, we got our family. And here's the thing. For many of us, you think family is just, is just kind of a thing that you have because it exists. And, it, and in one way, shape, or form, it does. Like you stood up with, with, with your husband and wife and one day you, you were in a pretty dress and, and, and he was in a tux or maybe you're the one in the tux and, and, and she was in a dress. And, and you've been married for a long time and you assume the relationship because it happened one day at an altar. Or you assume your relationship with your kids because one day you gave birth to them. And, 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 and for some of us, I, j- I just want to say, we have assumed too much of the relationship. We think it's just going to exist and be good because it should be. And for some of us, it's, got, it's gotten sideways and things have gotten weird and things have gotten a little, you know, little, bit, uh, little bit awkward. And I just want to say for those of us who, who might feel that way, it's time for us to step up and be faithful within our family. It's step up, time to step up and be, be faithful as a husband, be faithful as a wife. And I'm not talking about not cheating here. That's like, you know, so baseline. I'm talking about be the husband that you're supposed to be. Be the wife that you're called to be. Be the person who speaks respect and speaks with love to your husband and to your wife so that they know that you love and respect and value them. With your kids, be intentional about spending time with them. Be faithful that if they're interested in something, that you show interest in them. And here's the thing. If you've got little kids, they're interested in a thing called Doc McStuffins. I guarantee he didn't go to a university. I, I, I have never seen his degree once. And when you look at it, you're like, this thing, if I have to watch this thing again, if I have to watch another episode of Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, if my kid is going to ask me again, what are you doing? My daughter asked me a hundred times a day. I can walk into the room and she'll go, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some work. What are you doing? I'm doing some work. What are you doing? I'm writing my sermon. What are you doing? I'm still writing. My, nothing has changed since three seconds ago. And I'm just telling, like, some of you, you've been there. Some of you, you're there right now. And you know what I decided? And I've, I told Artuan this this week. I told Jalen this week. I, it's so easy to get frustrated, but I decide, like, I literally, I answer my daughter every single time she asks, what you doing? I'm like, write my sermon, baby. What you doing? Write my sermon. What you doing? So I'm still writing my sermon. What you doing? Write my sermon. What you doing? Write my sermon. And after I ask that, answer that question eight times, she goes, why? I'm like, all right, progress. Okay. But here's what's beautiful about that. As I've committed to being faithful with, with, with that and just going like, you know what, hey, I get to talk to my daughter about what, what I do as a pastor. Why are you writing a sermon? Because I want to help people understand Jesus. Jesus? Yeah, Jesus, baby. Jesus. Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to you. Better than Bucky? 
That's our dog. I'm like, even better than Bucky. And I'm just telling you, as, as, a, as a husband, as a, as a spouse, as a father, there's times we just, have, it's not easy, it's difficult, it's hard, it takes longer than you think. But we have to be faithful to that. If you're single right now and you're thinking, okay, the family thing's a ways off, here's the thing. You walk today faithfully in a way that will honor the family that you someday hope to, hope to build. It's, it's what we choose. It's what we choose personally when it comes to your relationship with God. And I know I'm going a little bit over, I apologize for that, but when it comes to your relationship with God, we all, I, I think there's, within every single one of us, there's a desire to know God and to know God more than, than we know him right now. But I think for some of us, we just kind of hope that it will happen. And, and if you want to actually know God, you have to be faithful to do the things that will help you know God. It's spending time in your Bible. It's spending time in prayer. It's spending time doing the things that help you know God. It's spending time worshiping God and communicating with him that way. It's spending time faithfully doing the things that grow a relationship with God. So spend time in, in, in the word. Spend time in, in prayer. That's how you get to know God. We say at our, at our church, we teach this in our growth track, we teach this in all kinds of stuff. I, don't, I never want to read the Bible so that I can know more about God. I mean, I think that's nice. That's not my goal. My goal when I read the Bible is not just to know more about God, it's to know God more. And if I want to know more God, I have to spend time doing the things that help me to know God more more. And if, the, if you want so, and if you want that, it's just time for us to step up and be faithful. Faithful to read the Bible. Faithful to pray. Faithful to read the Bible. Faithful to pray. Faithful to read the Bible. Faithful to pray. Faithful to serve somewhere. Faithful to be generous with our finances. Faithful to, like, faithful to the things that help us grow in our relationship with God. It's time for us to be faithful. Because if we'll be faithful, God will bring the fresh. If we'll be faithful, God will bring the fresh. So I want to be faithful, 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 and watch what God does as he brings the fresh. In and through, and for, and around us. Let me pray for you.